everybody, I am here once again. This time I'm here um, again, again with my good friend Vanessa Jimenez. But this time we are here not to talk about me, but we are here to talk about herself, her journey, her mental health journey, her life journey, on all sorts of on and all sorts of good things. Um, considering that we are not even two minutes into the podcast and I am already tongue twisted, um, this is going to be a good one for sure. So thank you, Vanessa, for joining us, and we are very happy to have you here. Uh, how about we start off a little bit, um, we start off by you letting us know a little bit of what you do now, um, what are you all about, what do you like to do, what do you do for work, just a little bit of, a little, a little um, sampler platter of your life as of now. All right. Well, hi. Thanks, Gabby, for having me on your podcast again. Um, I think I just want to say I think it's really important to talk about mental health. And so I really appreciate you holding this space for people. Um, So I'm happy to be here. And um, yeah, a little bit about me. So Vanessa, like you said, I live in Grand Rapids. I um, am married now with a baby, which are two things that I never thought (laughs) I would be or have. So life, wow, really, really changes. But I have an 18 month old baby and I've been married for uh, with my partner. I've been with him for almost 10 years. So um, but we've been married for a little bit over 18 months. (laughs) So, um, I work, I own, (laughs) I own, um, my own consulting firm, um, Mesla Mosaic Collaborative, and I do organizational, uh, development consulting. And so I right now have a, um, a pretty big, my main kind of contract that I have is working for an organization here um, that focuses on Latina women. And so I'm the executive director for that and really uh, love working with women. I love supporting women, empowering women. I think that's been kind of my life's purpose throughout my, my career and whatnot. I've worked for a national sorority before that and worked with women's groups um, at different universities. So that's kind of my my gig in life, my purpose, I guess you would say, is um, just supporting and uplifting women, in particular women of color. So that's what I do, um, which is why also I just love being in this space because I think it's one coming from, um, you know, I'm I'm Mexican American, so coming from a bicultural household, um, you know, very Americanized, but also very traditional in our Mexican kind of values and and whatnot. Um, You're taught to not talk about your problems, you know, definitely not broadcast them on a on a podcast, right? (laughs) So I think coming from that um, background and just my own self, um, you know, having lived in a very homogenous, uh, white, you know, community, and having uh, the effects of discrimination and racism from a young age. And again, being a woman and seeing how society, you know, treats women that that was just a passion that, you know, drove me through my throughout my life. But it also helped me, I think, with my mental health journey, too, um, and kind of being, in spaces and having opportunities to uh, reach out and connect with other women and other women that kind of shared your background and understood, um, you know, your upbringing. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what brings me here today. And you and I know each other through, you know, our sorority sisters and 
Um, so it's just kind of full circle that that is really my life's purpose and it's helped me so much in life, um, in my own mental health journey. And speaking a little bit on life, why don't we talk about the beginning of your life, maybe when you were a little bit younger and how that, um, let's speak a little bit more on how you were raised as far as, you know, maybe what some stigmas were or some so maybe some taboos or some good things that you thought were, you know, pros and cons of your childhood where, um, where you're kind of starting to take form as to how you're going to deal with your life, right? It's when we're a little, um, before, I think it's before the age of seven, right? So all that, that chunk of time. And, and then after from yeah. seven to seven to, I would say 18 is another chunk. And then 18 to 25 would be my other my other job yeah. when you're kind of like, okay, maybe I need to become an adult after that. But, um, and then 25 to Definitely. to 50, you're becoming an adult. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, gosh, where do I start? Well, I cut, like I said, I come from, you know, I'm Mexican American, um, second generation. And so I came from, you know, uh, the east side of Michigan, my family still all really lives close to each other, you know, very close in terms of proximity and always um, being together, you know, holidays and things like that. Um, but again, from came from a culture where you don't talk about your problems, you don't talk about your issues, you know, you don't, um, you just bottle things up, really, you know, we didn't have a healthy emotional um you know, family structure, I would say. And I think that's kind of indicative of the generation of my parents, you know, they're older. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what, how they were raised. Right. So it's, a, it was cyclical in that way, but we moved from, uh, from Pontiac, Michigan, which is where all my family was when I was about six to uh, a little town that was very homogenous. Like I said, very, we were one of two uh, families of color probably for a very long time. And the other family was my uh, uncle and my cousins. So they lived right next door to us. We moved out to the country. Um, and so at a very young age, you know, I, I realized that um, there was just discrimination, right? I mean, it was just very country <laughs> town. Um, people wore, you know, uh, Confederate flag, you know, t-shirts and said the N-word openly and whatnot. And so that was a big part because I was very proud and loud, like of being Mexican and came from, you know, very prideful family. Um, I mean, we had sarapes, you know, hanging on our curtains, you know, for curtains. So we were very, very Mexican in that regard. Um, and I was also very, you know, just an outspoken, I would say, uh, you know, kid, um, so sticking up for people that were getting bullied, you know, that was always like just sticking up for people. And um, I think one of the things that now that I look back as a young person, um, even like that, my idea of justice, right, and like having justice for everybody, I think that was kind of a that's been a, a, a um kind of like a life, you know, pattern as well, because I was always like sticking up for people and um, sticking up for myself. You know, I was called everything from the N word in third grade. Um, I remember this like very distinctly being called the N word by a, a older fifth grade boy on the bus and everything from, you know, 
in middle school being called, you know, racial slurs for being Mexican, any dirty Mexican, wet burrito, you know, all of those things. And so that really, I think for me growing up in that environment, um, you know, again, we were always, I was always proud of, of being Mexican, always proud of our background, but just that idea that, you know, um, not everybody, you know, is equal, that there is discrimination in that fight, that justice piece, I think, um, always resonated with me and just kind of my, my social justice, I guess you can say, um, background started at a young age. And I, I saw that in my parents, you know, my dad was a, you know, he used to work in the fields as well. And, he talked about, you know, leading pickets and things for workers' rights and, you know, marching along with Cesar Chavez those days, you know, the farm workers movement. And so my dad was always kind of had that fighting spirit, too. And I think that's something good that came from, you know, our family is that um, we were taught to be like strong, you know, um, independent. I had, you know, my theas were not married. They were all, you know, um, not married. And so just seeing them be strong women even my mom, you know, um, I look back and now I see her strength in a different way than I probably saw it as a child. But I think that was something that was always, uh, you know, really driven, driven in us was to be, you know, strong and to be independent and to kind of fight for what's right. Um, so in terms of my mental health journey, you know, that was like, you, you're strong, you know, you don't cry, you don't, um, again, talk about your, your issues and things like that. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, it, it was like, you know, the, the good and the, and the bad behind that messaging, um, in terms of being strong. Right. And like, I think that's something we hear in like mental with mental health is like, Oh, you know, you're, you're so strong. And so with me, it was like hearing, Oh, you're strong. You're supposed to be strong that realizing like, I'm not strong, you know, I can't, um, I, you know, like, this is not, I don't feel right, right, like, there, I knew there was something wrong, and, like, what is that, um, but I have to be strong, right, so it's, like, it was denying, I think so long I denied, like, my inner voice, which I think we do so often, um, is that we deny that inner voice in us, that, that intuition that says something's not right, um, or something needs to be, you know, worked through or whatever. Um, and so that was a pattern too, I think, in terms of being told, you know, from a strict family, what to do, you know, who you could talk to not, you know, we didn't get to hang out with our friends a lot or, you know, do different things. Um, and so it's like, you know, being told what, what to do, not being, uh, really trusting yourself, right. And trusting Mm -hmm. that intuition. So that's kind of like my early, you know, kind of, I guess my early childhood and just, again, some of the patterns in terms of mental health that I, you know, that I see the, the, how it kind of formed the way that it did. Um, and so where would you think, um, it's like now that you're looking back, do you think that you were struggling with your mental health before you were aware of it? Or do you think that you became, that you became aware of your, your, you struggling with your mental health at, you know, as it was happening? Or did you look back and you're like, oh man, like I was struggling it. I was struggling with it even then. Yeah, no, I think the first time that I really realized like I felt depressed um, or that I felt like feelings that were not just being sad 
um, I was 11 years old. So even though, you know, I say, I think that I realized that I wasn't, that something was wrong. You know, I didn't feel right when I was 11 years old and I used to write. So I used to write, you know, in my journal, I used to write poetry a lot. That's kind of when I started writing, um, which is, has been a big tool for me. But at that time, um, and we had a dog, uh, our dog, we loved our dog, Chula. And Chula um, was, wasn't allowed to be in a, on the carpet. She was along here like uh, Australian Shepherd Lassie. So she was always in the kitchen. And we had a pretty big kitchen, but she was always to stay in the kitchen. And so I remember being 11 years old and like going out and laying with her in the kitchen and just crying. And she would just, you know, comfort me. And, and I could tell, you know, dogs can tell your emotions. So even before, you know, nights that I would do that, I could tell that day, like she would be following me around or like whimpering, you know, if I was sitting on the couch or something kind of whimpering, like she could tell that emotion. And then sure enough, like that night, I would just be crying and go lay with her. So I knew at a young age that something wasn't right, you know, in my, in my thinking. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, we grew up in a tumultuous environment. Um, it was, you know, there was violence and things in the home. Um, and so we were seeing those things. Um, and again, not talking about it, right. Don't, you know, talk about it, you know, you know, talk about your feelings, that kind of stuff. And so that was part of it. Um, as well as, you know, you're an adolescent in middle school, those are middle school days. So everybody in middle school is going through something. Right. Um, and so you have all of that pressure. And so, you know, there were days where I would just, you know, cry all night and just, be, feel sad, like really sad. And, um, so yeah, I mean that I, I knew, and even when I was about 16 years old, like I 15 or 16, I told my parents, um, I wanted to see a therapist. Like I was like, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk to a counselor. I was, um, I had painted my room purple. This is really interesting, like, you know, example kind of, of, the environment, how we're told not to trust our intuition, but I, I was, I painted my room purple and I still had some purple paint, you know, in my room. And I was just, so I like was screaming, literally screaming out for help. And so on my, on my ceiling, I wrote, I hate this house. Um, like I, I, in purple paint, I hate this house and something like I wrote some other stuff on there and my older sister saw it and she like, told my parents, like, you need to go into this in her room and see what she wrote, you know, and my, they, uh, they didn't address it, you know, and I told them, like, I need, I want to go to counseling, you know, you don't need counseling, you know, you don't need paint over that, like paint over that right now. So I had to paint over my ceiling was told, like, so I'm painting over, I mean, th just thinking about, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative, I'm a writer and all these things. Mm -hmm. I'm like thinking like really literally painting over this, cry for help right in my room um and so that was at 16 so I mean I knew that I like needed help I needed to go to therapy but my um parents just weren't ready to like to realize that there was a problem that there was something wrong with me and I had a lot of <laughs> I think resentment um towards my parents growing up that's something that I've really had to work through as an adult um because you know, I, re I had a lot of resentment for why didn't they get me help? Why didn't they listen to me? You know, right. um, but, you know, now as a as an adult, I realized that my parents did what the best that they could. That's that, you know, 
I, th- I think everybody needs therapy, but kind of looking back at that, like, yeah, we, as parents, we do the best that we can do. And that's the, what they had for, you know, for them or, or what they knew, um, or didn't know. And so, you know, that's something I've had to work through, but I knew at a young age. And like I said, I think that led to kind of me, uh, suppressing my mental health, right. Telling like, I don't, I don't need help. I'm fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with you. And so that actually around the same time, around the age of 16, um, that was something, so I, I became bulimic um, when I was 16. I started throwing up because that was something that I could control, right? Um, I was That was something I could control. If I was emotionally eating and I was just binging and purging, literally, around that time. So, you know, six. I would say 16, like that was a big time where I, where I knew that I needed help. Um, and I knew that there was something wrong. But that manifested, I think, into an eating disorder um, that led, that lasted for quite a long time up until college as well. Um, and it wasn't until I went to college that I was able to get help. I, I started going to counseling in college because um, of my eating disorder. I had been throwing up in my dorm and my roommates, uh, my, my sweet mates kind of noticed that I was throwing up and like one of them confronted me. Mm -hmm. and that made me realize that like why I was doing that you know like asking me kind of questions about why I was throwing up and I realized like oh that's something that I can control I do that when I am anxious I would have panic attacks you know on my on my floor in my um, from very young ages too but I didn't know that that's what they were I just thought I was crying a lot you know um So that all, yeah. So I knew, you know, growing up that I had, I I would say 11 years old. And like I said, that kind of manifested into just my behavior um, and how I dealt with life, you know, throughout my, um, my young adulthood until I started going to therapy, you know, kind of off and on and slowly uncovering these layers uh, that of all of this, um, these things that, you know, had, had compiled through the years. And so we're talking about, um, you developing um, bulimia, um, were there any other kind of coping mechanisms that you that you used to um, to handle or to deal with your um, with your mental health struggles at the time other than the bulimia? Like you can say like yeah, you know like you so, can be like routines or you know or you know whatever. No, I uh, well, okay, so I'm just gonna be real. I feel like and this is on the heels, let me just preface all of this. This is on the heels of me watching Demi Lovato's newest mm-hmm. um her documentary on mm-hmm. her talking about her addiction and mental health journey. And um I watched that and I was like, wow, I one, I didn't know any of this stuff about Demi Lovato because I don't really follow her. But two, like wow, that was so real and like stepping into her truth that it was just really, I I would like, I would suggest people watch it because it was really interesting. It's on YouTube. But anyway, so I'm coming off the heels of that of like, I'm just going to be, you know, share my truth. And um, because it's real, it's part of my story. And I think, you know, as I'm exploring, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm teaching a writing class right now um, here in town and I'm teaching it to, to, you know, upper elementary, middle school um, students. And so I've uncovered a lot of like my poetry and I, and I tell them in class, like your, the page is your, is your, um, it's your like 
the page is your, uh, you know, point to get everything out. Like this is the page is your canvas and like share your truth. Right. So I've been processing a lot of that and also some other like projects that I'm working on. That's all centered around, um, your voice, right? Like sharing your voice and like sharing your stories. So I was thinking about that, um, and coming into here because, you know, there, like I said, like there's probably a lot of things that people don't know about my life. I'm pretty private (laughs) in that regard, you know, in terms of like the personal struggles and things. But I think, I think, you know, this is a time to kind of share because it, it is important. So important to like, one, listen to your kids. I think that's so important. Like something that I've definitely learned is like, we have to listen to our kids because our kids are, they know, you know, as I, as we get older, we get again, like these layers and messages and and people telling us how to be and how to feel and all of these things. And it uncovers or it, it covers up our true, that inner voice, it covers up our true self and the things that we know inherently that that society and all and people and and things, you know, tell us are are not true. And so it's, you know, at 36 years old, I'm still uncovering these things. But I think, you know, looking at my childhood, I'm like, man, like, there's so many signs that I needed to get help that something wasn't right. But I also kept a lot of stuff. um, I kept a lot of stuff, you know, hidden, too, because I was told, you know, again, don't talk about your problems. It was that pattern, right? Of like, don't talk about your stuff. Um, so I had pretty, I would say, destructive patterns of behavior to, to cope. That's how I coped. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of developed bulimia in, when I was about 16 years old. Um, but even before then, I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. And I was, I remember one, one time I took like a bottle of Tylenol. I took like 11 Tylenols, right? Because I didn't, I mean, I had my, you know, I was depressed. I didn't Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. know what was going to happen. I knew I wasn't going to, you know, die off Tylenol, but I just didn't want to feel right. Mm -hmm. And so I took like 11 Tylenols. I remember I did that. Um, And that was like around 12 or 13 years old, you know, um, I wasn't allowed to like do a lot as a kid. So I didn't really go out a lot. But when I did, like when I was able to, you know, go out or go to my friend's house when in high school and stuff, like I drank, you know, I, I drank, I mean, I think, you know, if in high school, uh, that's pretty much all I did, but that was like an outlet, you know, Mm -hmm. and in college that, that kind of again, was a pattern of, um, a way to forget things, right. A way to kind of step away from my reality, to use alcohol in that way. And so I, I would say that I was, you know, that I, um, abused that substance, you know, um, in college more so than just drinking like college students drink to, you know, to party and have fun. That was my, um, escape mechanism. And because at a young age, you know, I had an older sister in college, um, we shared a room. And, and when I was in probably middle school, um, I found some of her booze underneath her, <laughs> her dresser um, that was in our room. And, and I would like take a, a shot or a swig before I going to bed if I was having like a, a bad day crying a lot. Like that was my way to drown it out in middle school. 
So again, you know, now that I'm older and like gone to therapy and stuff, I see that that was a pattern that in in college, it wasn't just about being a party girl or having fun. It was like Mm -hmm. a coping mechanism to cope with because I had done that at such a young age that that was how I, I drowned things out. So that led to, you know, again, destructive behavior. Um, and not really seeing it for that when I was, you know, 19, 20 partying and, and right. using alcohol in that way. But again, looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that started when I was young. You know, that started because that's how I coped with um, with my feelings, really. And, you know, that's how I coped with my feelings. Um And so I would say those were kind of my patterns, you know, I would, I had, um, now looking back, like, yes, I had to, I was depressed (laughs) for whatever, you know, however that happened again in my kind of adolescence, like that was part of my story then. And so getting, you know, into therapy and getting diagnosed officially with depression um, in when I was, I mean, in my early thirties, like that's how long it took for, mm-hmm. for that to get diagnosed. And I was diagnosed with anxi- uh, general anxiety disorder when I was 27 mm-hmm. first time, which, um, again, looking back, like in looking at the pat, you know, anxiety and the, and, and how that manifested in me, um, it was, you know, staying up late in sixth grade and like being so, worried about getting my homework done and that I, I stayed up one night. I remember like staying up till three o'clock in the morning, like doing homework right. above and beyond like that perfectionism, like having to be perfect. And I would have panic attacks, you know, or anxiety attacks where I couldn't breathe hyperventilating. And like, why am I getting so worked up? That was part of my bulimia, you know, how I can, tr- could control things. Right, right? right. If I knew that I, I burnt, I binged, I could purge. And that made me feel better because I could control that when so many other things I couldn't yeah. control. There's that, that um, release maybe of the mm-hmm. pressure. Yeah. yeah. It was literally, again, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I was purging my feelings, right? Like I was, that's how I dealt with those things. So um, again, I say all that to say, like, listen to your kids, you know, listen to your kids when they tell you, um, look at the signs of things, because I think, man, if I would have, you know, if how much more advanced would I be in my, in my wellness and self-healing, if I, if my, if somebody would have listened to me as a teenager, you know, if, if I would have known these, what I know now, like, man, it would have it would have, you know, lifted all of this weight that I've had. Um, so I just say like, listen to your kids. They know, you know, they know what, uh, their inner voice is telling them and how they feel. So yeah, those are kind of my patterns of behavior, very destructive, but, um, you know, I had to kind of learn those lessons and go through hard times to get the help and like, and get to a turning point where I felt, um, like, okay, I'm starting to understand why I am the way that I am, you know, why I, I do the things that I do or why I feel the way that I feel. And that was really through therapy. So the first time I went to therapy was, um, freshman year in in college. Like I said, I had went, um, because my, my roommates confronted me about throwing up and I realized that, I was having anxiety, like that's what, you know, anxiety attacks that I was, I was having and breaking down in the middle of my dorm room, just crying uncontrollably, shaking, um, hyperventilating. 
And so I was like, okay, I need to like (laughs) go get help. So I went to the counseling. Um, I did counseling, you know, at, at the student counseling center, you know, for a while. Um, but I didn't go, I didn't start going kind of continuously, you know, it was like temporary kind of like, okay, help me get through whatever was happening at that time. Um, and was more, and that was more focused on my eating disorder. So we didn't. So that was kind of like the focus of that. And it did help. I did kind of stop for a while with um, my bulimia. But um, then, you know, I was graduating uh, college. I was graduating college. I um, went to live in Mexico after after graduation. And did like a lot of, I would say, soul searching and reading and kind of a spiritual journey and realizing um, that's when a lot of like the resentment that I felt towards my Mm -hmm. parents and just all of the, you know, resentment that I had for for how we grew up and experienced and all of that. Um, I like let that go in Mexico. (laughs) I, I was reading a lot of spiritual scripts and kind of looking at my spirituality, um, which I think helped me with some more clarity around my mental health. Um, because I had, like I said, kind of off and on gone to, through to therapy in college. Um, and so 23, 24 was kind of my self-reflection of like, there's more, there's more that I have to do. You know, there's more that I have to do. Like, it's not just on my parents anymore. Um, I kind of let, like I said, forgave them and let that go and realized like, okay, I'm an adult now. So now I have to be in control of my mental health and like in control of the decisions that I make kind of thing. Um, which that moment is so important, right? Because if we don't have that moment, we don't have that moment where, you know, you're acknowledging that you weren't maybe, um, it wasn't your intention or it wasn't your fault. Um, but now it is your responsibility to address it. That's kind of, you know, that's, I think a point that a lot of us have that if we don't have that point, you're stuck on blaming on somebody else and, you know, we can't change other people. So if we're blaming other people, um, nothing's going to change because, you know, we're, we're talking to a brick wall as much as we love them or we could love them or they love us only we can change ourselves so when we're blaming other people you're just you know continuously reflecting back into each other those negative aspects so that was definitely um a very important part i think of of the switch when you had yeah i think that that we have to we have to be ready for whatever that is and and like i said i had destructive patterns of behavior (laughs) you know i was not um with drinking, with drug use, um, you know, I did like hard drugs in college because again, that was my way of escaping my reality. But for me, it was, it was like, at the time I saw it as like just partying and being like a wild girl and rebelling, you know? Um, but realizing, you know, and reflecting back, like, yeah, I was, I was hurting. I had a lot of pain and that was my way of coping. So I think that point was like crucial to, to, you know, realize like, I can't blame any, you know, anybody I can't like, it is what it is. And I have to be responsible for how I move forward, you know, in life. Um, so that's like a big, you know, again, whether it's addiction, whether it's just dealing with mental health and addressing your mental health, um, or 
just being more self-aware like that, that has to come for in order for things to get better. Um, so yeah, so that kind of led me into my twenties after I came back from Mexico, I moved to Iowa. Um, and in Iowa, I started going to therapy again. Um, and I, that's when I was diagnosed with anxiety, um, and, it's generalized an anxiety disorder. Um, I was, you know, successful. Like I had a, you know, a good job and I was, you know, graduated from college living on my own, like on the outside, you know, everything was like good. Right. Um, but I was still like struggling with all of these things inside. And so going to therapy, like that really helped me to uncover again, some of my behaviors and patterns of why I have this unhealthy like fixation with being with success and being perfect like the perfectionism that I had you know um pushing myself too hard like working so much trying to be the best that I could be and and that and kind of just uncovering again a lot of childhood stuff a lot of things of where those where that behavior uh stemmed from and I think being aware of those things like man that's such a game changer Mm -hmm. when you're aware of you know your triggers when you're aware of your behaviors and the patterns and where that stems from like that changes that can change your life you know Mm -hmm. and so at 26 27 like starting to uncover some of that stuff um definitely has been like a process right like it doesn't just like oh okay now I you know I'm get everything but it's definitely helped to it's you know to really understand that journey and like I said being having kind of that diagnosis of of having anxiety um and having you know coping mechanisms and having ways of of dealing with that was such a game changer like it it literally changed my life you know in that regard I I wasn't making destructive decisions or using drugs and alcohol in the same way, you know, um, that for the same reasons, you know? Um, and so that really, yeah, was a turning point too of getting back into therapy and kind of doing again, uncovering, like uncovering layers of, of, um, these patterns and, and everything that had been going on. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been in therapy off and on. Um, the last time that I, was had started therapy it was in 2018 and in 2018 um I went back to therapy because I was that was like a really tough year for my mental health Mm -hmm. um so much so I started having suicidal ideations um which I had had as a young you know I had had in my teenage years I um didn't realize it at the at the time I think but looking back like thinking about death thinking about me dying or like not not wanting to be here you know kind of anymore those thoughts um I had those in my teenage years Mm -hmm. and so they were coming back up in my in my you know 20s and um I think again working through repressing those feelings and not talking about those kind of things because I was you know again successful and like you know kind of in a a public facing, um, role. And so a lot of people looking at you, right. And, and like 
I can't have mental health. Like I can't be suicidal. Like, what does that even mean? You know, like denying that because of the stigma around it, you know, because I can't, you know, I, I I can't be depressed, you know, like, what do I have to be depressed about kind of thing? right? Right. Right. Even again, uncovering these things and therapy and stuff, it's like, you still are fighting those messages. Right. And so, uh, 2018, like, again, that kind of came to a head and I was having suicidal thoughts. I just felt like not wanting to be here. I had, um, one day I was driving and I just felt, you know, I was, I had to, I had to like stop driving and pull over and be like, I need to like, something needs to change. Um, and so I went, I, I got into therapy again and my, my therapist is, she was just like what I needed at that time, um, in terms of the type of therapy that she did, um, and, and kind of using different modalities of therapy and stuff for me. And so in that therapy, I've started doing kind of like inner child work, Mm -hmm. um, and really looking at childhood traumas and issues and things. And, um, it wasn't until, you know, again, my thirties, my early thirties that, I really started like uncovering to the point where I'm now like, okay, you know, I, um, I was, you know, diagnosed with depression at that time. Um, and kind of looking back at my childhood and kind of, again, the things that I've shared today, like my, my therapist kind of affirmed, like, you've, you've had this for a while. You felt this way for a while. You know, this isn't new. This is something that, you know, again, sharing those experiences, like, yeah, you've, you've had these patterns. And so that was, that helped me get back to like my inner voice, right. Like going back to like, yes, I know like what's, you know, what's going on with me. I'm, I'm pretty in tune. I don't always listen to that. I don't always, um, you know, I still have to push through and, and again, have different ways of, of coping and dealing with things. Um, but therapy, if it wasn't for therapy for me personally, like Mm -hmm. I would not, um, have the understanding of my mental health. I don't, I think for me, like having those diagnoses, uh, di- you know, diagnoses that is affirming for me because I think I, mm-hmm. so much of my life was told like, you're fine, you know, you're fine and not feeling fine. Mm-hmm. So that for me is affirming because I'm yeah. like, okay, like, and I can do something with it, you know, right. like, Right, you so have the diagnosis, think, you have, maybe there's the resources that are tied to that, you know, that you can um, Yeah, on. exactly, you know, if you, it's like, when you know better, you do better, yeah. you know, and, um, and so I think for me, therapy has been very helpful, again, I have, I've never taken medications myself for mental health, um, you know, for any of my diagnoses, but I, you know, use different types of, like I said, modalities of, um, I journal a lot. I got into meditation because for me, especially with my anxiety, like being still being present in this moment, being aware, um, that for me, meditation has really helped, um, and just get back into my, you know, get back in tune with myself and my, my inner voice. Um, but I also use cannabis, you know, and I've used cannabis for, um, for a while and I, it, it helps. I don't use it as I think a replacement or anything, but I think for me, cannabis does help me slow down. It helps me to, um, 
sometimes be creative, you know, different, different types of, of things. But I think for me, like that helps me to slow down. And I realize, um, you know, I, I don't really drink anymore at all. I kind of stopped drinking like, uh, a few years ago, even before I got pregnant, I got pregnant, um, in 2019, so I was pregnant and then I was breastfeeding and and stuff. And so I wasn't really drinking. Um, but even before that, I just really slowed down on my drinking because I realized that alcohol was, um, how I was coping with mental health before. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would, if I was stressed, I would drink a bottle of, you know, wine or, um, I've gotten in trouble, you know, I've gotten in, I've gotten DUI, you know, from drinking. So, I mean, drinking alcohol, that's not a vice, uh, that I want to, you know, have in my life or anything. So I understand, uh, substance, you know, use disorders and things like that. So for me, like I said, for me, cannabis is something that helps to, um, just slow, slow me down. Like I said, and kind of at, you know, at the end of the day, relax and that's helped me too. Um, it's just like with, I think meditation, you know, I, I think, I'm, I've always been pro-cannabis. I've always been pro-cannabis. I've seen how it's helped people. Um, when I lived in Iowa, we we were um, advocating for medical marijuana use and just seeing all the different stories. So, you know, I'm, I am pro-cannabis and it works for some people and it doesn't work for others, you know, but I think the biggest thing is like finding what works for you and you're in a treatment plan um, that works for you and what that looks like um, is different for everybody. I think it's, but also too, I, I speak about cannabis because, and, and even medication, like those things are, you know, so sometimes we, um, what's the word? It's, it's shameful, right? We don't talk about those things. And it's like, if, you know, I have acid reflux, I take omeprazole every day because I literally have acid reflux with anything that I eat pretty much. Mm-hmm. If I have, if I can make myself better and feel better and get through my day without having to worry or be concerned about my digestive health, why wouldn't I take a pill? Why wouldn't I do something to make, you know, mm-hmm. same thing with mental health. If there is something that your body needs, why would, why would we deny ourselves of that? You know, like, that's why I think this is so important what you're doing and having these conversations and even, you know, why I'm like, okay, I'm going to share things that I haven't shared before because people need to see that. Yes. Even quote unquote, high functioning people, right. Which is like, don't like that term, but that's like how people see you like, Oh, you're so again, successful. Mm -hmm. You're so this, you're so that, well, I can be all of those things and also have bad days and also have depression and also learn what works for me so that I can have better days, you know? Um, so yeah, so I just say that to say, you know, there, you have to figure out, um, what works for you and, and not, and we, and we have to stop stigmatizing things, um, and not talking about things, you know, like why, why, because who, because someone said that it was bad and wrong and, you know, all, no, you know, that's not, that's not, uh, helpful to anybody. And so, yeah, I just reiterate that because I wish that, I, you know, I'm trying, I want to be the person that I needed when I was a a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to be that and you want to show, especially having a kid now, like Gabby knows I was never going to have a kid. I was not supposed to be a mother. Like (laughs) I was, that was not my jam, was not planning. Now I have a kid, you know, and part of it and going through that journey of having a child, like 
I will say honestly, part of the reason I didn't want to have kids is because like, I didn't want to fuck kids up. Like I was like, gosh, like there's so many, you know, fucked up people in the mm-hmm, world. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to contribute to having, you know, to fucking up another kid because I felt like I was, you know, not again, I felt like I had issues and problems. And so like, gosh, I don't want to like, it's hard to raise kids. Right. right. So that was some of that, that I had to work through and having a kid and, realizing that like when we know better we do better and so it's our responsibility as adults right as adults that are responsible for ushering other tiny humans into this world like we have I have to have my mental I have to be on top of my mental health my physical health any kind of health but I really have to be on top of that and I have to understand you know, again, why I am the way that I am so that I am not passing these things down so I can break these, these generational cycles, you know, so I can break that and I can do better for the next generation. Um, Because it's hard, right? Being, (laughs) it's hard in this world, like it's hard being a parent, it's hard being just a human sometimes, especially coming off of this, and still being in a pandemic, like, man, I wish that everybody could have a therapist, you know, I wish everybody could be having conversations Mm -hmm. like this because it's now more than ever so crucial for us to be in tune with our, our wellness and our well-being. Um, Because at the end of the day, like, that's all that we have, you know, we, our wellness, ourselves, our, our being, if I can't be good for myself, I can't be good for other people. Um, I can't be good for my family, my community. Um, so I have to put, you know, put that first. I have to listen to my body. I have to listen to the things that I need um, and ask for help, which is like super hard for me, right? Asking for help when I need it or realizing. Um, but again, it's like when you know better, you do better. And I'm so glad I know better now. I know we're all glad that you are here with us and that you've made it through all this, um, through all these very turbulent times, especially, you know, through the suicide, the suicidal moments. Um, you know, I can personally relate. So I know that they're kind of, you know, the, the lowest of the low kind of darkest of the dark moments where you're kind of, you know, just over everything and exhausted probably and all that, um, all the emotions have kind of just amalgamated into one big lump of, you know, just not wanting to be here anymore. So, you know, I'm definitely glad we still have you in our lives. (laughs) Um, So, and, and, but speaking of, of those very difficult moments, do you have something, you know, is this an open conversation that you have with, let's say your partner, or do you have a group of people that are kind of there, to help you if that you know if the time were to come again or you know if you're kind of lingering in between those moments do you have a plan do you have an action plan um I know I personally do which sometimes throws people off guard where I'm very like I'm very open about it where like well this 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 um you know even I know some mm-hmm. of my doctors have been a little um, shocked at how open I am with it, but I realized that everybody kind of goes about it a different way. So do you have a, a, a way that you're kind of, um, I don't want to say prepping, but just being aware um, and along with your partner and your, you know, your, your family and, and close friends? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And that's, I think something that 
yeah, not a lot of people maybe think about or are, like you said, open to. But, um, I mean, I would say I have a kind of steps to take if I ever get back to that place again because of what happened last time. Um, So last time um, in 2018 when I was having suicidal ideation, um, it was also around the time that my um, mother-in-law was passing from cancer. She had aggressive cancer and was passing. And so, um, you know, at first when I was feeling these feelings and things, you know, I didn't, I kind of kept that to myself because I would, didn't want to burden my partner. He was dealing, you know, with mm-hmm. his mom passing and, and whatnot. And so, um, and you know, my, I just didn't, I kept it to myself. Um, and looking back, you know, there were, I can see how I can see it build up to the time where I was like, like I said, needed to pull over driving and that was the, the the day that I had to tell my partner, like, I need to get help. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And so after that, and again, going to therapy, I went to therapy after that and everything. Um, we've, we've been pretty, and then also, you know, again, with his mom passing, like, he's also um, very open with like therapy and just knowing that like our mental health is really important. That was very challenging, you know, in that situation. So I think those, that combination kind of really has helped us to talk about our mental health. And for me, especially after having a baby and like going through, I I didn't have postpartum depression. I, I definitely was depressed during my pregnancy um, and had a lot of like physical ailments but also like just mentally going through it and so I had to be like very open with him during that time and I was very aware I was worried um that I would have postpartum depression because I already had regular depression so I was like great I was already having these feelings you know again not having a a good pregnancy I had complications and stuff so I was really worried about um postpartum depression and so from from before my son was born I laid out kind of a plan with my doctors, um, got some like, uh, got some therapists lined up for like postpartum depression therapists that focused on postpartum depression. Um, talked to my husband about, you know, just how I was feeling and kind of doing check-ins. Um, but after that it was like, okay, I, for myself, I kind of laid out, this is, this was the road of how I got to feeling like the suicidal ideation, you know, having suicidal ideation saying, okay, here are the checkpoints, right. And kind of creating checkpoints so that my husband knows like, Hey, this is like where we need to check in or, Hey, this is, you know, and me being very aware of that. Um, so it's like, we have those checkpoints and we, and we kind of know like, okay, if we need to take a day or we need to like, you know, again, um, I have my therapist on like speed dial if I, you know, I'm not going kind of regularly, but checking in. And I think that's helpful to know that I like have somebody if I need to talk to, um, and that my husband knows kind of here's some signs or things that, you know, we need to pay attention to and more, and for myself understanding like that pattern of that pattern and how to, uh, how to see it and then how to kind of adjust it or like I said do things that um will help me to get out of that so I haven't you know luckily I haven't been to that point um since 2018 but definitely taking time for mental health and um having 
you know, days, like I, before we started recording, I was telling Gabby, like I had a really rough day, um, this week and I just, I was feeling really down and depressed. And instead of trying to push through and like, you know, get stuff done and, and uphold the commitments that I made to people, like I just said, I need to take the day and I need to listen to my body. I need to listen to my mind and I just mm-hmm. need to be, and I did. And I woke up the next day and I felt better. You know, I felt better because I practiced self-care. I journaled, I meditated, I did what I needed to do. I was gentle with myself. Um, and I didn't give myself grief for not doing, you know, the things on my to-do list that day. Luckily I do have the, you know, the flexibility to be able to do that. So I understand, you know, that's a blessing too. Um, but I have to listen to myself so that I can, you know, so I can identify when things are getting to that point, if it ever does, you know, Um, but hopefully, you know, we're, we'll, we'll push through and keep doing the things that I know work for me to help check my mental health and to, to make sure that my wellness um, is on a good path, you know? And, um, I think those are a great thing. So how would you wrap up? Let's say, let's wrap up by saying your top three things that work the best for you as far as, you know, um, keeping up with your mental health. You you spoke a little bit about, um, you know, journaling and meditating and all in, in a couple other things. So what would be your top three favorite, um, mental health kind of coping or, you know, feeling better, um, all those kind of um, little things that everybody suggests, but what are your favorite three? Yeah, my, well, number one, um, is writing, (laughs) writing for me, getting it out. I think that's always been a way that I've, um, kind of coped with mental health or with my feelings and emotions is writing, writing. So I journal, um, and I also do gratitudes like every, every week, um, because it helps me to focus on kind of the good in life and focus on the things that I'm grateful for. Um, but also like gives me in journaling gives me an opportunity to just share like how I'm feeling. And even if it's like, you know, three sentences that day or whatever, it's like putting it out there and getting it out there. And that's really helpful. Um, my second thing that I would say is my is taking care of my body. So wellness in terms of like, for example, today I went to the chiropractor. Um, I have like neck, neck and shoulder issues. And if my body is not feeling good, um, it affects my mental health too. And so I get, you know, I take time for kind of that self care of my body work. So I get a massage like at least monthly because that helps me to keep my body in check. Um, I love walking in nature. I think being close to nature and kind of walking um, or being out and smelling the, like fresh air, you know, it's, it's springtime, things are blooming. It's kind of like time for a new, new life forming. So I love being outside now. Um, so I would say like that wellness and kind of making sure that self-care for my body, whether it's taking a walk or like I said, getting massage, like making sure that I'm taking care of my body. I'll do yoga and stretching like I try to do that every morning, at least like 15 minutes, um, to get my body going. Because if I, my body doesn't feel good, then it really affects kind of my mental, my mental health as well. Um, so yeah, journaling kind of physical wellness. And then, um, I really 
well, it's a tie. So therapy, I think therapy is great. Like I love therapy and I, I just advocate that, you know, if you are able to, to go to therapy, um, that has been so helpful, but for, on my own, I would say meditation, um, because to me, meditation is a form of therapy. Um, meditation can look a lot of different ways. You know, it's not always just like sitting on a pillow and like, you know, with your legs crossed and like, you know, even though sometimes that's how I meditate, you know, I, I literally behind me have like my altar with my candles and crystals and everything. Um, so that's sometimes how I meditate, but sometimes just being out in nature and sitting quietly and listening to the things around, you know, everything that's happening around you, the birds chirping, that kind of stuff that's meditation. Meditation is really just getting ourselves to focus on the present um, and not thinking about the past, not thinking about what's to come in the future, just really focusing on the present moment and being aware of, of that present moment. And so I think for me, meditation has been um, really life transforming and that has been, um, you know, par partly too, I say like in 2018, that medit stopping and meditating on my, you know, like I said, I pulled over and I stopped and just like was very hyper aware of the things that were going on around me and like everything in, in that moment. And that's when I was like, I need, I need help. <laughs> you know, that was kind of my, my, my moment. So I would say journaling, um, physical wellness and meditation are my top three, like self practices for mental health um care well thank you vanessa and um thank you so much for sharing your story i want to go back and just reiterate how important it is for us to not only listen to ourselves to trust ourselves that our body and our mind are telling us exactly what they need and want um, to listen again another very important point to listen to those that we love in this case to listen to our children um, to listen to the little ones around us because <clears throat> no matter how little or young we might see them, they have very big feelings and the feelings don't change um, in size just because they're little tiny. Um, and I think as we get older, you know, the gap in ages is so much that we lose, can lose track of that. And um, another thing I want to remind everybody is that um, it's very important for us to have an open and clear and honest conversation about our thoughts and our behaviors and especially about suicide, even though it can be uncomfortable, um, it can be sad, it can be painful. Um, it is so important to have open conversations with our loved ones, whether we are the ones struggling or whether they are the ones struggling. It really does change completely um, the outcome of the scenario, whether someone feels like they can be open or not. And again, I want to thank everybody for listening. And I hope that you all tune in again for our next episode. Thank you again, Vanessa, for joining us, for being so candid and open with your story. And um, mm -hmm. we will see everybody again soon.